Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, it's on page 830 in your pew Bibles. We'll begin reading in verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. Um, Excuse me. Uh, This Sunday, we're starting sort of a three-part series on giving, which is leading up to uh, Sunday, October the 21st. When we each year, if you've been here, you likely know this, we, turn, we ask you to turn in your pledge card. It's what you are pledging to tithe, to give for the coming year to this church. And so we usually take a few Sundays to preach on giving, to understand giving in its biblical context. That's what I'm going to begin this morning, sort of talking about very broadly what it means to not only give of our money, but also of our time and energy and resources and so forth. So uh, you'll be receiving some information on that coming soon. I hope you'll take Uh, the next couple of weeks and pray through that with uh, you and your family on what the Lord will be leading you to give uh, to this church for the coming year. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his abilities. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the glory of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would teach us from your word. We would see all that you have given us, all that you have entrusted to us, and we would use it for your benefit, to extend and expand your kingdom and for your interests. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do just that? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A couple of months ago, my wife Lauren and I, we had to put one of our dogs down. Uh, we had two little Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, these two little foo-foo lap dogs, basically. Very pretty dogs, okay? The way I understand it, that you still cannot disallow a Cavalier King Charles in a public place in Great Britain. 
like other dogs you can't, but you have to allow a Cavalier King Charles in Great Britain. I thought that was interesting. We lost this dog, Franny. We have our older dog is Maggie. She's 11. Franny was nine. She had congestive heart failure. Her kidneys were failing, and essentially, out of mercy, we had to put this dog to sleep. Anyone who's ever had to put a dog down, you know how difficult that is. I remember sitting in the vet's office sobbing because I just lost this dog. Love this dog. There's never been a more faithful and loving dog, in my opinion, than Franny. Franny just wanted you to love her. That was it. That was her mission in life, for you to be happy with her. It's why it was really pointless to ever discipline Franny, because her ears would go flat and her, she would tuck her tail between her legs. It just She was so upset that you were upset. And so you, then you had to console her because she was upset, because you had gotten upset with her. So there was no, there was no point. She epitomized finding joy and delight in the joy and delight of another person. She just loved you, and she wanted you to love her back. Faithfulness is really the link between the three parables of Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins, which precedes our passage. It's the faithfulness of the five virgins who prepared that the master might be gone, or the bridegroom would be a long time in coming, and then the five that did not prepare. In our passage, it's the faithfulness of the two first servants, or slaves is what they really are. The master was going to be a long time, and they faithfully worked hard so that he would be pleased with them upon his return. And then the passage that comes after our passage, it's the separation of the sheep and the goats. The faithful sheep loved God and served him, and the goats did not. Therefore, they were cast out into the darkness. Faithfulness. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, we can answer that question in a lot of different ways, but the way that this passage answers that question is this. What does it mean to be a Christian? Faithfully working hard for the master. Effort. Do something. There's there's faithful effort that we are called to have as Christians, and this passage brings this out. It's talking about Jesus going to the cross, and he's preparing them with these parables. I'm about to go away for a long time. But there's still great work for you to do while I'm gone. These parables are about preparation for the return of the Master. And for us, preparation for the return of Christ. So what does faithfulness look like for us as a Christian? Well, let's talk about it in three ways. First is the commission of the Master. The commissioning that he's going to do for these three servants. Secondly is the response of the Master, excuse me, the response of the servants from that commissioning. And then lastly, it's the judgment of the, of the master. He judges them for how they have done while he is away. So the master calls these three servants, as our passage opens, he calls them, I'm about to go away for a really long time, and before I do, here, I need to entrust in you several things. One man, five talents. One man, two. And one man, one. Large sums of money that I'll go into in just a moment. He's going away on a really long journey. Before he does that, he needs his servants to know their expectations while he's away. Apparently, this scene was not unusual in Jesus' day at all. Wealthy masters very often went away on long journeys. And when they did, they brought slaves to them and says, While I'm gone, I expect you to oversee my assets. I expect you to take care of my businesses while I'm gone. I expect you to increase the wealth that I have. I need to go on and do other things. You're in charge while I'm away. They were commissioned to grow business, to make money, to not remain stagnant. They were commissioned to work hard. Talents, that word is maybe unusual to us. When we think talents, you think 
Someone's really talented at that sport. Someone's really talented at what they do. Well, that's the application of the passage, but that's not the way the parable uses it. The talent, you may know, is a sum of money, a very large sum of money. It was a weight. It's a a weight of measure whereby they weighted or uh, saw how valuable something was. So one talent equaled 6,000 denarii. One denarii was one day's wage. So one talent equaled roughly, approximately, 20 years worth worth of work. So the five-talent man had been given enough money for 100 years of daily wage. That's a lot. If we use kind of our numbers and approximate figures, that's about a million dollars per talent. Okay, Now, it depends on if it was silver or gold, but let's say it was gold. So it's a million dollars per talent. This is a remarkable amount of money. Next, the term servant is used in this passage. That doesn't really get at what we're talking about here. It's a slave. There was no choice that this servant had. He had to carry out what the master had said. He's a slave. He's owned. Okay? It's a little bit stronger when we use that word. But don't miss the explanation of the distribution of the talents either. The amount is given to each slave is not arbitrary, but it says given according to his ability. The master knows his slaves very well. He's assessed their abilities. He's seen what they can do. I can trust five talents with this slave. I know how hard he works. I've entrusted him with things before, and he's proven himself faithful. He has had a great return in the things I've invested in him before. I will give him five. To others, the two talent and the one talent. He still trusts them very much, but not with quite as much. The distribution, he had to be wise in how he distributed his wealth to his servants. Coaches have to do this all the time, don't they? They deploy their players into particular positions. They have to be able to assess talent and put them in the position that is correct for them. I am learning this right now. Justin Lesline and I, uh, one of our assistant pastors, if you don't know Justin, we are coaching a first and second grade flag football team. Uh, This has been quite an adventure. Uh, Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's glorified babysitting, but we are having fun. And we're doing well to this point, but we are having to constantly assess these first and second graders and their emotional outbursts and all that they do. Everybody wants to be a quarterback, but we really only have one kid who can play quarterback. Please, coach. Please, coach Andy, let me be the quarterback. No, you can't. You're at safety this time. You're not quite to the the level yet. Assessing the talent and deploying them into the positions where they can help the team best to win. Christ has also entrusted us, his people, as well as us, his church corporately, with gifts, with talents, and with abilities. And he expects us to use those for the growth of his kingdom, not our own. For his glory, not our own. Not to increase our wealth and our portfolio or for our benefit, but for his benefit. Yes, we are blessed in that process, but all that he is giving us is for him. It's, it's for his benefit and purposes. Even the things you'll notice, when the master returns and he calls the, the slaves to give an account, everything that they earned on top of what the master had given, what do they do? Here, master, here's what I earned for you. Even the things that they earned were the masters, and they were expected to give, give an account and give it to him. You know, this often doesn't sit well with us. Now, wait a minute, pastor. I, I, I worked really hard for what I have. 
I worked really hard in my business. I've accumulated a lot of wealth. I have all these resources and this influence. I did this. This passage is saying, no, it was given to you. Yes, you worked faithfully and you worked hard, but you did it for him and his benefits. You did it to extend his reach and his kingdom, not your own. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around this. How are you using your talents? As we apply this, you remember, it's expanded past money. Money's included, but how do you use your time? How do you use your resources? How do you use the influence that you have in this town and in amongst the people that you live? How are you using it? Are you using your time to do kingdom of God work? Or is it usually just kingdom of self work? Are you using your home and your business and your life to serve others or just to serve yourself? You're a slave, you know. You're a slave of your master, Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion that he has made to you. It's a command that he's made. That you use what he has endowed to you for his glory, not your own. I challenge you to sit down this week and to personally assess and then assess as your family how are you using the master's assets that he's given you all the wonderful blessings to varying degrees in the congregation today he's blessed us how are you using that for him each of these are on loan from god and he's calling us commanding us to steward them well secondly the response of the servants the master leaves and now it's time to get to work The first two faithful slaves seem very enthusiastic. It's time to do what the master has called us to do. Let's get get started. So the slave that's entrusted with five talents, he gains five more. The slave entrusted with two, he gains two more. A hundred percent return on the master's investment. This was good, wasn't it? In obedience to the master, in love and affection for the master, they get right to work, faithfully doing what they've been commanded to do. How did they do it? Well, we don't know. Did they make wise investments, perhaps? Did they start a new business that made all this money? Maybe. But they took the master's money, and they made money for the master and for his benefit. Jesus is warning us here against a Christianity that professes faith, that professes love, that professes affection, yet does nothing. We say the right things, we show up at the right places, but we don't actually work hard and faithfully for him, our master. The faithful slaves get to work. The unfaithful slave, he's lazy. He's full of excuses, and he just makes accusations. You know, at this point in the passage, I hope you're a little bit uncomfortable. Just a little bit squirmy in your seats right now because it seems to suggest that this parable is saying just work real hard and you'll be fine. But that's not what it's saying at all. Salvation is by grace grace through faith apart from works. The master is not handing out judgment based on works. The works are revealing the heart of the person. You can't fake it. We're not saved by our works, but don't let that diminish the importance of works. Your works are showing Do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? Your works reveal what you truly believe. And it certainly does for these faithful and unfaithful slaves. The unfaithful slave is showing with his works, I hate the master. 
I don't love him at all. I don't think what he wants is good. He's just going to get upset with me if I lose all this, so I'm going to do nothing. If you are working hard for the kingdom, investing in others, using the resources for God's glory and for others' benefits, you are revealing what you think about your God. You're saying, I love you, because the things that are important to you are important to me. The things that you love, I love. First Pres, the master is away right now, is he not? He has gone off into a faraway land. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in all power and honor and glory. He is away from us. You have a job to do while he's away. It's not to just to sit happily in your pews. It's not to just know that you've got the right theology in your brain. It's to go and to do what he's commanded us to do. To use all the blessings that he's given you and use it for him. You have influence in this town. Are you using it? You had a great break go your way in your business. Are you using that to bless him? We have privileges that other people in this world do not have. Are we using that for him or are we just hoarding it for ourselves? We're not to be lazy. We're not to grumble. We're to work hard to see the kingdom grow in Macon and around the world. Why did the last slave do this? Well, it says he was lazy. He was suspicious. He really didn't love the master at all. But the master had made a big investment in him, had he not? The master had poured out things upon him, and he wasted it by doing nothing. What are you doing today with what the master has given you? Lastly, we see the judgment of the master. He returns, and he calls his slaves to come to him and say, Gather around, slaves. Let me make an account for what I've given you. What have you been up to since I've been away? It's a picture of judgment, isn't it? It's a picture of a day that is coming for all of us. When every single person, doesn't matter if you loved Christ and followed him or if you hated him your whole life, you will be called to the judgment seat to make an account. What will you say? Each of us will stand there. You can't opt out of it. You can't somehow be exempt from this day. It, the day is coming. And the two faithful servants, because of their faithful living and the love that they have for their master, they hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with what I have given you. And I gave you a little, and now I'm going to give you a lot. Come share in the master's happiness. That may be what some of your translations say. Enter into the joy of your master. Come into heaven. Come spend eternity with me for, with eternal happiness and joy. We are slaves of Christ, and we're going to discover on the last day, maybe even to our amazement, that God really did see all that you did for him, all the ways that you were faithful, and he was pleased in what you did. He was glad. You, you made him glad because of the faithful working that you did for him. The effort is hard. To, carry, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus is difficult, and many times people don't even see what you've done, but he sees it, and he takes delight in it. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness, says this. We can think that it's a mark of spiritual sensitivity to consider everything we do as somehow morally suspect. But that's not the way the Bible thinks about righteousness. Why do we imagine God to be so unmoved by our heartfelt attempts at obedience? He is, after all, our Heavenly Father. What sort of father looks at his daughter's homemade birthday card and complains that the color scheme is all wrong? 
What kind of mother says to her son after he gladly cleaned the garage but put the paint cans on the wrong shelf, son, this is worthless in my sight? What sort of parent rolls his eyes when his child falls off the bike on the first try? There is no righteousness that makes us right with God except for the righteousness of Christ. But for those who have been made right with God by grace alone through faith alone and therefore have been adopted into God's family, many of our righteous deeds are not only not filthy in God's eyes, they are exceedingly sweet and precious and pleasing to him. End of quote. You can please him with what you do. He's very happy with your obedience. We read passages such as Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, that, wait a minute, I thought our righteous deeds were as filthy rags. Well, we've got to understand the context in which that was said. Israel is doing all manner of idolatry. Their hearts hate God. They're, they're still doing the rituals. They're still carrying out the sacrifices and so forth, but God knows their heart. And so they assume that their righteous outward deeds are making everything okay. But God knows their heart. And that's why he calls their things filthy, disgusting. When we, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, obey him, walk in the ways that he's asked us to, love other people, he looks down upon us with delight. His children have followed his commands, and he's glad about that. Both of these slaves have come enthusiastically to the master to say, look, look what I've done. Here, here's the five extra talents that I made for you. Here's all that's yours, O oh God. You know, be thankful for the two-talent man. You know, most of us, you want to think of yourself as a five-talent person, right? I've got all these wonderful gifts. I have all these wonderful things. I can handle all of this. We're not all five-talent folks. Some of us are two-talent folks. The Lord has not given you all of that. For the five-talent people, what, what more you've been given, more, has, more is expected. For some of us, we haven't been given as much, but our faithfulness, that's still expected. He expects us to do proportionally with what he has given us. Don't boast in what you have, and don't despise what you have. Work hard with what has been given. Don't look down upon someone else if their resources and talents are less than yours or different than yours. Some of us are teachers. Some of us are evangelists. Some of us can fund all manner of ministries, and that's wonderful. Some of us can feed the poor, and you have time to go out and do that. Some of us have administrative gifts. You're organized. We need that in the church. Some of you really enjoy being with people and hosting them into your home. Are you using the talents, the strengths, the likes that you have for the benefit of this church body and the benefit of the kingdom of God at large? Whatever you have, use it. Because notice this, and don't miss it. The unfaithful servant is not cast out because he murdered somebody. He's not cast out because he committed adultery. He's not cast out because he committed some heinous crime, or even that he's a prodigal son who went into a faraway country and sowed his wild oats. He's condemned because he did nothing. <laughs> he's condemned because he's lazy. He's condemned because the God invested in him certain things and he did nothing with it. He kept it to himself. The unfaithful slave is full of excuses. He misrepresents the master. He's suspicious of him. He believes the master to be hard. 
He believes the Christian life to be more difficult than it really is. It's here that the main point comes in view. The third slave is unfaithful because he didn't do anything at all. It wasn't necessarily committing wrong things. It was omitting good things that he should have been doing. He claimed to be a part of the people of God, but he didn't work for the kingdom of God at all. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, know this. He is going to return. He's a good Savior who takes great delight in his children. And you today can put your faith and trust in him and begin faithfully working for him, working for your master, Jesus Christ. For those of us who know him, stop working for your kingdom and start working for his. Long to hear the great words of this passage, well done, good and faithful slave, you did good. I know that you love me because you showed me that you did. Now enter into the joy of the master. Come into heaven. Spend eternity with me in joy and happiness forever. How today can you build the master's assets and, and advance the kingdom of God? What can we do practically even today? Have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Yes, you have. Now go and do likewise for others. Extend that forgiveness to that person that you know you need, you must, you're being commanded to, to forgive. Share the gospel with a person that you have long known that you need to, a person you see them all the time, that the kingdom of God might be expanded in that way. You have good news that you've been given. Share the good news with other people. Volunteer for that organization that's doing great things in Macon. You have the time. You have the time to do it. Go and, sp and spend and invest your time there. Many in our midst right now, you have time and you have influence. Use that time and influence so that this abortion clinic will not open in our town. Pray. Do something. Use your influence to that end. It grow and improve the kingdom of God in that way. Maybe you're not exactly sure what your gifts are and your talents. Come to us, your pastors. We can help you try to discern that. What do you like? What do you enjoy doing? We can deploy you into that in the kingdom of God and even here at this church. But don't do nothing. Doing nothing puts your soul in danger. It puts your soul in eternal danger, as, as this passage says. Doing nothing is the worst thing you could do. Don't do nothing. Christ did and gave all that the Father had trusted, entrusted him to do. The Father said, do my will while you're on this earth. And that's the thing that Christ was most passionate about. The will of the Father was constantly on his mind. He had entrusted his Son to carry out his will on this earth, and that was constantly on his mind. The result? The faithful Son has made faithful servants. The faithful Son has redeemed us that we might go out and improve upon and expand, extend the things that even He has done by His strength and through His Spirit. Christ gave all of Himself in order to save us. He bought us. He owns us. We must follow His commands. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? How many times have you asked, asked or been asked that question in your lifetime? Are you ready? Are you ready to go? Are you ready to begin? Are you ready? Are you ready? In, implied in the question is that you've put in the necessary preparation to go or to begin or to whatever it is you're doing. 
You've gotten dressed. You've put your makeup on. You've gotten your kids ready. You've, you've gathered your things. Are you ready? Are you ready for the master's return? He's coming back. Have you prepared for his coming back? Are you a faithful slave eager to show the master what you've been doing? Eager to show him what you have done and how you have faithfully used the things that he has given you for him. You know, in the last few weeks, we have lost church members who've gone to be with the Lord. We've had church members who've lost family members who have gone to be with the Lord. We mourn with them, but it's also been fun hearing stories. Hearing stories of their life, stories of their own preparation, their own faithfulness while on this, on this earth, ready to see their master face-to-face, ready to hear those words that we want to hear, well done. You did it. Well done, good and faithful slave, good and faithful child. Come into my happiness now. Come and share in the joy that I have. Come and be with me forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we do long to hear those words from you. We long to hear you tell us, well done. But Lord, while while you are still away, would you give us faithful hearts, eager to serve you, to serve your purposes, to pursue your interest and not our own. Lord, we confess our selfishness to you. Would you give us hearts that are eager to love you, to love others, and to use all the things that you have given us to that end. Lord, thank you for this word. Would you impress it upon our hearts? And Lord, now as we come to the table, would you prepare us to receive these elements and would you nourish us through them? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.